Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Friday, November 24th. We appreciate you spending part of your Black Friday with Brendan and I. We are offering 75% off on pitching graphs, I think. Wow. I'm not sure about that discount. Maybe 50%, but not 75%. It's Black Friday. I have a lot of graphs today, too. Yes. My specialty. My specialty so, animated graphs. Uh, 75% off <laughs> um, of their usual cost, which is yeah. free. So um, welcome to the show. Hope you had a good holiday if you celebrate it, a good holiday weekend. Hopefully you got some time off of work, were able to spend with friends, family, by yourself, however you so choose. I hope you had a good week, and continue to have a good weekend. Usual caveat here, Brennan and I are not live, uh, and especially with the holiday season and everything, reminding things change quickly. So if something Brendan and I talk about in this episode has changed since we recorded, obviously we try to keep that time as brief as possible, it's, it's tough to keep up. Uh, if big Cubs news breaks, you can always trust the CHGO Cubs team to do an emergency. So live holiday weekend or not, some portion of the team will be here with you live to break it down. Yeah. So thank you for tuning in, but just remember that as we go on in the episode in today's episode, want to talk about the current state of things, rumors that are out there, signings that have already been made. Some of the bigger variety like Aaron Nola going back to the Phillies on a big seven-year deal. And one thing I wanted to do, and we said we would do last week, is take a look as much as we can, right? Brendan was not, unlike Jed Hoyer, able to visit Japan and scout some of these pitchers in person, right? But, you know, it it came out, I think it was on Wednesday, that Mark Feinsand, uh, someone who I, I none of no reporter is ever right all the time. But when Feinsand says something or puts some meat on it, I do tend to be like, oh, okay, he's serious. He's a serious reporter. If it's coming from him, I I should start to at least believe the smoke, right? Mm. I just bring that up because he tweeted on Wednesday morning. Uh, that in addition, so we knew that Yoshinobu Yamamoto had the posting window started, I believe it's 45 days. Uh, so that yeah. process is is going and we can expect sort of to wrap up anytime within the next few weeks, right? 
But Feinstein posted on Wednesday that Shoto Imanaga, uh, he started the WBC championship game for Japan, is also expected to be posted between now and this coming Monday. So he'll be a little bit behind Yamamoto's timeline, but Feinstein noting that I think between the posting fee, the contract and all that could be a $200 million deal. So what we want to talk about in this show is big numbers getting thrown around for pitchers that a lot of us have never seen, right? So can we provide a little bit of color to that? How would we feel about the Cubs spending so much money on one of these pitchers coming over from Japan? Would it fill their needs? Where might you project them to slot into the Cubs rotation? Things like that, especially after, you know, Nola was not someone I think everybody loved for the Cubs or certainly at that money would have loved, but was a name that got tossed around to fill out the top of the rotation, replace Marcus Stroman, etc. So we will talk about all of that and everything in between. Uh, but Brendan, firstly, having a, a good holiday holiday week heading into the weekend here. Good holiday week. I'm enjoying my holiday with you, Corey. Happy Thanksgiving to you. What are you thankful for? Are you thankful for our show? Are you thankful for me specifically? Nothing else? Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. Um, no, I mean, Not I think convinced. the easy and most obvious answer for us is the <laughs> folks listening to this or watching this who have allowed you and I a platform to spew just absolute nonsense for seven years now. I mean, most of what I say is not nonsense. Most of what you say, the majority is nonsense. I say 75% is nonsense. Yeah. Yin and yang. It's a good balance. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we appreciate all of you because otherwise we would be talking to each other on the phone. (laughs) Which does (laughs) Which we would. Yeah. And it would feel a little less sane right? To be doing as often as we do and I for will as long say, as we do. I will say, not to like, you know, boost you and everything, but I have, when I go to sleep, I have like a contact list of who can call me <laughs> and you're on Oh, that. I can do not, I'm on your do not disturb. No, you're on my allowed list. No, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. so it's to my break family news. and then yeah. like a few other friends and then you, just in case, you know, something yeah. happens. So well, that, congratulations benefit, on making the list. The benefit of like our work schedules and just who we are as people is we kind of cover all the ground. You're up much earlier than me. I stay up much later than you. And we're in different time zones. Yeah, we have it all. Yeah. So it's it's easy for one of us to need the other to make sure that the other is paying attention to something that if is. If something happens, yeah. we're going to find out right. right away. Yeah. Good. So, yeah. So With we'll great see. power comes great responsibility. Listen, if Yamamoto I have signs, to judge who is a do not disturb breaking worthy phone call. You know, it's right? interesting that I say that you're on my list, but you didn't say that I'm on your list. I don't do that. What do you mean? No one can disturb me while I'm sleeping. Sounds well, that's kind off. of That's kind of dangerous. What if you're needed? Leave me alone. Yeah. Wow. You know, in some way, I kind of respect that, but that is a dangerous thing to do. You should reconsider everything. At least put me on your list. What if Otani and, and- signs I'm going to be like going straight to voicemail? Cody knows where I live and he would have authority to wake me up. That's Pound fair. on the door. Yeah. That's fair. Throw rocks at the window. That's fair. If you're not answering your phone, I'm calling I'm calling Cody too. If it's if it's Otani, there are enough people that know where I live and they, <laughs> they can they know they can come and break the door down. I'll so fly out first I need flight to know. If if I need to. Yeah. So 
how about the Aaron Nola thing? Let's let's touch on that. I mean, obviously this was a few days ago, but going back to Philly, I think makes a lot of sense. I, I at that number of years and the value, I'm completely uninterested. Um, I just don't. He he's he's been an an ice in the veins kind of guy in the playoffs for a lot of this this time with Philly. Not every start, but. He, he was not that great in the regular season last year, and that's a lot of years and a lot of money for a guy on the wrong end, you know, of the age spectrum here. I think he's good, and I think it makes a lot of sense for Philly, but as far as the Cubs, I'm fine with them having passed on that. I'm also fine with him not having gone to a team like the Cardinals, who were expressing interest and who, at least in the vacuum of that, have decided to fill their rotation with just some of the <laughs> v- nice. very strange. I, nice. I don't know. I, I've no. seen people joking about this, but I do think it's it's not bad. It's, like you, they, Jed, weird. Jed, you, you got to go into the the Google Doc that you have for Otani, make a quick edit, and throw in the Cardinals rotation as I think part of the lure to come to Chicago. Lance yeah. Lynn is here, baby. Hit Lance some tingers. Lynn, Kyle Gibson. It's interesting what they're doing. As far as the NOLA contract goes, 172, seven years, about $25 million per year. I would have been fine with that AAV for five years. I think I would have signed up pretty fast. The extra two years, it does make a difference. He'll be 37 years old. He's not an overpowering pitcher. The numbers for the past two, three years, if you just look at bulk run prevention, have not been the best. For example, 2021. 4.6 ERA despite a 3.37 FIP. 2022, better year, 3.25 ERA, 2.58 FIP. And then last year, 4.46 ERA, 4 FIP flat. So the numbers don't jump out at you. I think you could make the argument that the Phillies defense over the past three years just was not among the best. It was improved last year, but 2022, one of the worst defenses. It's easy to say that if he were on the Cubs, he would have perhaps had a better ERA and he has a diverse pitch mix, which suggests he could age well. The way I think about Nola, he's similar to that Marcus Stroman type where you have several pitch types. You're not over dominant, but in comparison, Stroman is taking these shorter term contracts. Cubs were willing to do that, spend similar AAV. Jed is never going to give a five-plus-year contract to someone like a Strowman-esque pitcher. There's no chance in hell Jed would ever do that, but I was interested in Nola. He is a good pitcher, just not at that time commitment. Right, and I think... I think also just where the Cubs are, the amount of holes that they have. And I think, you know, just a real question. You've talked a lot about, you know, how close they are on some of these luxury tax levels. Does it make sense to add that type of pitcher at that much money with yeah. where the Cubs are? And right, I, I think agreeing with you, it it, it just does not at, at this current time. We do need those innings though. It's sure. that, that's the one aspect of I, that appealed to me the most is just like he's he's a workhorse uh, by every definition. Well, now careful because that's how you build the Cardinals rotation. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> Give what they're doing. Lancelin, Kyle yeah. Gibson, yeah. yeah. But we do need Indians. I think my expectation though is, I don't know if this is fair or not. I don't think you can even project it, but I do have higher expectations for Tyone. I have a higher expectations. I yeah. yeah, I have higher expectations for Tyone entering this season than I did last season even though he had that down year. I think right. he gets that fastball right. I think he's, you already see him on, on social media. He's posting videos nonstop. 
if you can provide 175 plus innings, 28, 30 starts, ERA 3.5 to 4, I'd be ecstatic. Some yeah, I mean, even if he can be the guy that he was for the most part in that second half, right? I think you'd, yeah. you'd hope that it was a little more consistent in how it got there, which I think you can hopefully, I don't want to say expect, but they they know the problems they need to address. I, I, I would expect it to be at least finessed a little bit better and and more consistent in terms of how he's going about things yeah you talked a bunch about you know the the fastball just having no idea where like i expect them to make progress i don't know if i would say i i know they're going to fix it but they have a whole off season and they know what the problems are as opposed to hey this new problem has shown up in april good luck trying to fix that before we continue i do want to just ask do you like i i'm at i'm at my parents house obviously as you can tell by the different set uh but I have my Look 2003 Division Series mug. Look at that. This, That's... Was, this, this, was the, this was like the souvenir cup they sold at the ballpark. It's a high-quality mug. It is a high-quality mug. Was that game, uh, what is it, game three that they had that? Yes. Probably game three. When Mark Pryor beats Greg Maddox. That was a good game. And then... Yes. Wait, was that game three? What yeah, and was, then I think uh, they lose game four, and then they go and win game yes, five in Atlanta. Yeah, I remember, you know, I have a weird memory uh, about that series. Game four, John Smoltz comes in. I thought Sammy Sosa hit a home run off Smoltz, I think, and like, I want to say the ninth inning when Smoltz came in. Uh, that was a fun series. That, that series yeah. ruined my life because they won that series. It sucked me in, and right. now 20... Yada, One years yada, later, yada, here we are. <laughs> here we yeah. are. So uh, here we are yeah. talking about Jamison Tyone. <laughs> yeah. It's well, all... I do have I I do have one last thought though on Tyone before sure. we continue. You look at him, seventeen million per year, only three more years. If you we we talk about Christopher Morel and like the range of possibilities, one of the range of possibilities that is real, I give it like a twenty five percent chance, is that he has a similar year as Nola next year, and you consider the the commitment both in time and money. Easy argument to make that in the short span, given the Cubs roster, it makes more sense to want Tyone versus Nola on that contract, given the roster construction and given Tyone's improvement on his breakers and given the improvement basically across the board, just besides the forcing. So, yeah. Okay. So, kind of pairing that, obviously, you know, whether the Cubs were even interested in Aaron Nola at all or not, not something we may ever know. It doesn't matter anymore, but we know they want to improve their rotation. Marcus Stroman is gone. A lot of talk, you know, from everybody about how they need more swing and miss. They need some more velocity in that rotation and they need somebody else to join Justin Steele atop that rotation. Something we've heard a lot is a couple of guys coming over from Japan. Uh, and I mentioned them earlier in the show. And I think one of, as I said, the things that I think is always interesting about this, and, and I noticed it, I mentioned that tweet from Mark, Sine, Mark Feinsand uh, about Shota Imanaga on Wednesday. And like so many of the replies are 200 million. What? That was kind of my reply. Right? <laughs> sure. I, I believe that includes the posting fee as well. And yeah. presumably a, you know, fairly lengthy multi-year deal, right? So, but I understand that, why people react that way, right? Like they've never seen these guys. Some of them range in age and performance and things like that. 
in their time in the NPB. And it's just a lot easier to look at a guy who was just on the Phillies in the World Series and say, oh, yeah, Aaron Nola. Sure. Right. He's on my TV all the time. I know him. I get it. Sure. He's a big time guy. Predictable. As opposed to guys you've never heard of, likely. If you're a big NPB fan, all the power to you. It's a lot of fun if you ever watch those games. Those games are electric. But a lot of people have never heard of them. They see these huge values and they at is that right? Is it worth it? Should the Cubs be doing it? So as I said, like Brendan has not been in Japan watching Yamamoto starts, but we can watch some of them. We can watch the stuff. And for some of these guys, there's publicly available data for our friend, Dr. Brendan Miller to play around with. And so I guess, I guess broadly, right. Or do you want to start with Yamamoto specifically? He seems like the the headliner of this particular class coming over from Japan. Mm-hmm. Would that be a way that would satisfy, in your view, the Cubs' needs in the rotation? How much risk do you think is associated with that? Um, do you think there's more risk when you're looking at a pitcher coming over from Japan versus a hitter? So obviously there's a lot of nuance to how the leagues are different, how things translate, things mm-hmm. like that. And I, I guess, yeah, like just how do you feel? I mean, these are big numbers for all of these guys being being pushed around. These are not going to be cheap contracts, the posting yeah. fees and everything. You're talking a ton of money. That's a lot of questions I just threw it's at you. It's a lot but, of yeah. questions. So let's, let's do this. Let's give a quick general expectation of what makes sense from the Cubs perspective and Yamamoto. Do the ad break, and we'll come back. We'll go into actual specifics. What pitch types does he throw? How do they compare to Major League Average? Where are room for improvement on those pitch types? And eventually, what can the Cubs expect from a top-level performance from Yamamoto? That's what we're going to do. So first off, if the Cubs sign Yamamoto, the idea that the rotation is filled out, in my perspective is not satisfied. So you sign Yamamoto. The potential for him to be an ace is there. I would not consider it likely. And there's a difference between expecting it, expecting him to be an ace versus thinking it's possible. I think it's possible. I'm not expecting it. So Zip's projections have come out. And I always talk about these in ranges of possibilities. So the the projection for him is around a 3.5-ish ERA next year, 170-ish innings, pretty good, right? That does overlap projections you're going to see from top-level projections of Jameson Tyone, although the average, the likely ERA for Yamamoto might be more confident for a 3.5-ish year than Tyone, but we're talking about the range of possibilities. It's going to be a little bit more further to four than it is for Steele's projection, which I imagine will be around 3.2, 3.3. In my mind, those are good numbers, but dude, I want like the lockdown, like give me the unequivocal three-ERA guy that mm-hmm. is going to give me no doubt, 180 innings. And the price tag for that is enormous, either through signing someone, which is now not possible. Uh, I don't even think you should go out and give money to those 
free agents on the market given some of the uncertainty. Or you go and do it through trades. So you're so, talking like you're not interested in like Blake Snell, guys like that. I like I like those guys, but you have to understand from my my thinking, I need certainty, right? And Snell has been a little bit up and down, and you have to factor that in to what the Cubs could end up looking like. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about certainty, it's the poster child of John Lester. Like legitimately, when the Cubs signed John Lester, you knew 30 innings. Three three point five year array, the playoff portfolio that goes with it, and the attitude. And what did he do? He lived up to every single one of those expectations. Workhorse. He did thirty innings every year. Um, you you love hearing starts. this. Yeah, that yeah. starts. Uh, ERA spectacular. He was the best pitcher in Cubs free agent history, no doubt. And the playoff pedigree to go with it. You don't see that on the open market. I would love for the Cubs to have a John Lester, but what I don't everybody think that's, that's possible. watching on YouTube or listening on your podcast feed can't see is that Brendan and I are actually in the same room, and I'm off screen <laughs> threatening yeah. him to to read this portion of the podcast. You know, yeah. you know, we don't talk about Lester that much. I think I've uh, always said that. Yeah, <laughs> um, in, in in all seriousness, though, when I'm looking at how you can filled that void, I started to appreciate Lester so much more, like post-Lester. I did in the moment, don't get me wrong, but that respect level has gone up dramatically as pitchiness has changed. Sure, yeah. Uh, So for what it's worth, right, Yamamoto has thrown at least 170 innings for the last three years. Um, The caveat with that, obviously, is that the it's not apples to apples, right? The schedule is different. Peaches to roses. The, yeah, exactly. Well said. Um, the time between starts is sometimes different. You know, the length of the season, there, there, there are little nuances that do not immediately just translate to major league baseball, right? So that's where a little bit of uncertainty can come in. Like you can see that a guy can handle a certain number of innings, but it's not an exact, you know, layover, you know, overlay kind of like translation. Like yeah. they're on the same schedule, same number of starts. It's not really like that. It's, it, it is a slightly different league, even though you can kind of look and say, okay, this guy can handle a certain level of workload. You can't guarantee it once they come over uh, to the majors. But I think when we look at a lot of guys that have come over, that doesn't necessarily seem to be an issue. So mm-hmm. I think if you look at him as someone who is a workhorse and able to handle 170, in some of these years, 190 innings he was throwing uh, in 2022 and 2021, he, you should be able to expect him to handle that. Um, so yeah. that at least you can he look at. He could get to that point. It's possible. Just in the immediate future, you can't can't really expect that, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, I think ultimately there's always, when you're talking about guys that have not been playing Major League Baseball, and this is true of prospects too, right? There's always a level of uncertainty, always. You can never remove it completely because when we're looking at some of these guys, you're looking at the numbers in the league that we are talking about, right? And that's not to say that, you know, not talking about like difficulty necessarily, but just like, they're on the exact schedule in the in pitching to the MLB hitters in MLB ballparks for an MLB team 
And unless that's the case, there's always going to be a level of uncertainty, which I can kind of understand that you're not necessarily loving for the Cubs at this particular moment. Um, but let's do our first ad break here okay. and then we'll get into some of the specifics. And I think, you know, at least what I've looked at on Yamamoto specifically, it's rather intriguing, right? He does check a lot oh, yeah. of, he would check a lot of the boxes Absolutely. of the stuff that we are looking for, for the Cubs to add. I think it's just going to be about how, how comfortable do you feel with it about some of that uncertainty that we've talked about at the level of money yeah. that it may take to get it done. Yeah. Okay, let's do our first ad break here. We'll come back and go into the specifics. First one here is from Midtown Athletic Club. Midtown has four Chicagoland locations, Palatine in the Northwest suburbs. Sorry, Palatine? Palatine, listen. Sometimes my son's hometown. Sometimes when I read ads, it comes out differently than (laughs) what I read it in my brain. Uh, This this one, I'm sorry for the North Shore folks, but uh, Bannockburn, is that how you say it? Bannockburn? All right, nice. Listen, it's been a long time since I lived in Chicago. Uh, Willowbrook in the Southwest. Buffalo Grove is a lot easier. (laughs) Yeah, it's easy, man. Uh, Willowbrook in the Southwest suburbs and. Uh, Midtown Athletic Club and Hotel in the middle of Bucktown and Lincoln Park. I do know Lincoln Park. And by the way, if I lived in Chicago, I would probably live in Lincoln Park. I, it's just got that feel. I was looking at places for uh, Otani in Lincoln Park. Um, I think I settled in Evanston for Otani, uh, some Lake Lakeview property. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, also, Midtown Palatine, not Palatine. Did I say Palatine before? I mm-hmm. did. That's embarrassing. Uh, Midtown Palatine has launched a multi-million dollar transformation of the club, which will be complete early in 2024. Our listeners can lock in favorable rates if they join before the end of the year. If you're, if you have a family with kids, if you're single, if you're into holistic wellness, or if you just want to make some lifestyle changes, Midtown Athletic Club is your club. I will say, I was looking at pictures of Midtown Athletic Club too. If I lived in Chicago, I would absolutely join there. It's a really spectacular looking uh, athletic club. And they have those super luxe locker rooms with wet and dry saunas. I'm a big sauna guy. So to me, you know, I go to the locker room, I just chill out. Uh, it's like a spa type atmosphere. There's also yoga. There's ride and spin cycling. There's cross-training. There's group exercises as well. And they have the best tennis course and programming in the sports. They have indoor, outdoor tennis, pickleball, paddleball. They're sponsored by USTA. They have professional quality all the way. So head over to midtown.com backslash CHGO to find out more and to tour the Midtown Athletic Club nearest you and if you need to get there you can head over to cdjr get a new car and drive over to midtown athletic club yes if you're in a market for a new vehicle and if you are then we have some great news for you we're on the same team as ray chrysler dodge jeep and ram in fox lake at Ray CDJR, you'll always be able to shop at one of Chicagoland's largest inventories and find unforgettable savings right now during the Black Friday sales event at Ray CDJR in Fox Lake. 0% financing. And it is now available on select new models all month long. 
That's not all. Just for listening, you can get a free oil change when you mention CHGO at the service center or mention CHGO when you book online at raycdjr slash service. So if you're in the market for a new vehicle, then you have to check out the team at Ray Chrysler Dodge, Jeep, and Ram because they are the only team we recommend. Visit them on Route 12 in Fox Lake. And for more information, visit Ray CDJR Fox Lake or RayCDJR.com, serving the community since 1963. All right. Shout out to all our listeners in beautiful Palatine, Illinois. Shut up. Shut up. That's going to be a good one to know who, at least on like the CHGO Cubs team, watches our episodes or not. I don't want to hear say anything about that. I've been we'll listening to their episodes every time they mention Otani, Eric Sogar, Jonathan VR comes up. So I don't want to hear it. They've, they've committed <laughs> way more sins than me. I can't yeah. read sometimes. I got issues, you know? Uh, but yeah, our, our CHGO Bears team just did a great live show at uh, one of the Ray dealerships yeah. with Cole Komet. They raised, they got some toys for tots. Really great show, great event. Uh, so love Noted Cubs fan, Cole Komet, by the way. Some yeah. Great looking Cubs hats. Right. Yes. Correct. Okay. So back to Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Yes. Take it we away, have. Pitch Doctor. So, first off, before I even go into this, I think there's the thinking that he's a fastball splitter guy, and he is. But when I started to dig more into this, some features popped out from his fastball that are really surprising to me, both surprising in a good way and surprising in, I guess, a bad way, if you want to call it that. But they're they're surprising features. So let's let's dig into this. So the fastball he throws is in the upper 90s. And I showed this to you. And if you're just listening to this on, on the Apple feed or Spotify feed, come over to YouTube, you can see these animated charts. You're looking at what his pitch types look like compared to major league average. And on this specific graph here, you have a red pitch type, which is which is his four-seam fastball versus the major league average, which is this gray fastball here. I showed this to Corey. He thought it was a breaking pitch. <laughs> He's not wrong. It looks... I still as, do. I know. So the reason it looks like this is because his four-seam fastball has 14 inches of arm side run. Now, that is an absurd number of inches. If you look at the average fastball and the horizontal break on that pitch, it's around like five-ish inches or so. Jameson Tyone, when he was at his best, was around one inch of horizontal break. Uh, the average, again, is around five to seven inches. If you're on like, that range, that's, that's typically where most guys are. So he's almost two and a half times greater on his horizontal break. The, the interesting thing about Yamamoto's fastball is that it has also better than you would think vertical break where the average vertical break for Yamamoto is 18 inches and the average in Major League Baseball is 16 inches. So his fastball sweeps the other way, if you want to call it like that, with good carry on his pitch. It's a unique fastball. Very rarely do you see pitchers who have the combination of tons of arm side run also with carry. And I imagine that's a feature that intrigues the Cubs a lot. This almost reminds me of Javier Assad's sinker, Corey. We okay. talked about it with Assad's sinker having 
better than average vertical carry. And it was in about the 90th percentile of sinkers with carry. And his break, his horizontal break on that pitch is 14 inches. So think about this. Yamamoto has the same horizontal break as Javier Assad's sinker with eight inches more vertical break and thrown in the upper 90s. That is a unique pitch type. Can I tell you, so I was looking at a StatCast article, I think that came out on maybe Tuesday night, just looking at some of Yamamoto's stuff. And can you guess the MLB fastball they compared it to? And I'm asking you for a reason. Dude, I don't even know, man. I honestly don't know. I'm asking you for a reason. Asking me for a reason? Like, I don't know, man. You're scaring me now. I... With all that horizontal break, I have no idea. Who's Who is a pitcher it? you talk about all the time? Is it Kevin Gossman? Mm-hmm. I, I know. <laughs> I can't believe it. With the splitter, too, right? I'm never going to let that go. Yeah, I've been talking listen, about Kevin you, Gossman since you, 2015. If you're a newer listener to Brendan and I, can't at least, uh, Brendan is and always has been obsessed with Kevin Gossman. And it's I will never hear miss. the end of him being right that the yeah, Cubs should right. have signed him when he was available. That's so. right. So here's the weird thing about... So potentially, potentially a, maybe a Japanese Kevin version of yeah. Kevin Gossman. A 25-year-old version, They can too. finally rectify the, the grave mistake <laughs> that they made of not listening to you yeah. in the first place. Here's the weird thing about his fastball, though. The So the average um, the whiff rate uh, uh, is around 22% for fastballs in Major League Baseball. In Japan, it was around 22-ish percent. So why with those specs is he not getting more whiffs? That doesn't make sense to me. And I don't know how I feel about that. So something, and he the weird thing too is he's kind of like a shorter guy. He's only like 5'10", and he has a low release point too. I forgot to mention that. Like he, he has a low release point with that vertical break. You would think he should be getting tons of whiffs with that fastball. I have no idea why he's not getting those whiffs. So maybe that's something the Cubs can rectify because Tommy will figure it out. Tommy will figure it out. Hopefully maybe he has something to do with like, I don't know, extension or how he's like hiding his pitch or something, but it didn't make sense to me with that fastball that he has all those whiffs or did not get all those whiffs. Yeah. Okay. All right. Should I go to the next pitch? Sure. Okay. So let's go to that splitter. So you talked about Kevin Gossman and that splitter. Um, disgusting splitter. The splitter for Yamamoto, it's different than Kodai Senga's splitter or forkball or ghost forkball, if you want to call it that. The difference is for that ghost forkball, it doesn't have much arm side to run. It just like goes straight and drops. That's why... That's why um, uh, it's so good. So if you look at the splitter for Yamamoto, what you can see here is it has more vertical drop, starts from a, a lower release point, and it has about the same arm side run of three inches of your average splitter. So it grades by all intents and purposes, similar to your average splitter, just with a little bit more arm side run so there's also a lot of talk i don't have a graph here but there's a lot of talk about his curveball the reason i don't have his graph for his curveball because um it's kind of breaking my my program this is a long story but basically the well i mean 
just like visually before you yeah. even get into some it's, of the it's other a stuff. weird looking pitch it's it's beautiful it's i mean it's it's a big loop of a, of a curveball it's it's it one is. of those like i think it, it has a really nice aesthetic to it in the in the in the Statcast article they kind of compare it to kershaw's not exactly but just in when you think of clayton kershaw's curveball it's big right yeah it's it's a it it very high to very low right i know that's like the most rudimentary way nice. of explaining a that's curveball a great... but not all curveballs have such it's almost like like a like a rainbow yeah. right it's big huge it's very aesthetic i'm watching these like gifs of like yamamoto us. and it's like extremely <laughs> aesthetically pleasing to watch this pitch move like this so i have this slider so i want to show a slider instead of the curveball so the curveball i have the specs so it's about 20 inches of 20 inches of, of dropping action for his curveball and it has about four inch, 14 inches of sweeping action. So let's compare this to what Tyone has said he wants his curveball to look like. Tyone wants his curveball to be 10 inches of drop, 10 inches of horizontal. For Yamamoto, it's 20 inches of drop. So twice that what Tyone wants, and twice that than the major league average. Also, he has a lot of sweeping action to it, uh, where it's moving horizontally 14 inches, where majority of curveballs are are just 10 inches of sweeping action. Why is that? He throws that pitch at 77 miles per hour. So it's a slow-looking pitch. I imagine if the Cubs want to increase whiffs, the curveball is not going to be, and maybe I'm wrong here, but the curveball I don't think is going to be this primary whiff pitch. I think ultimately it's going to be something between his curveball and his slider. Here's a slider, and this is the reason why I think that. Slider, if you're looking, again, at this on the YouTube channel, these two pitches, the gray major league average pitch and the red Yamamoto slider, they end up in the same location. But look at that red pitch. See how it kind of sweeps a little bit more, kind of goes inside and then goes down and in? This has double the sweeping action than your average slider so about 11 inches of horizontal break from a slider versus the average five to six inches of your uh, right-handed pitching slider so he has natural ability to generate sweeping action this is a faster pitch in his curveball i think what you could see predictably is that they would add more of a hybrid faster breaking pitch with more sweep and less vertical call it a sweeper if you want but they've had the ability to turn these breaking pitches, these hybrid breaking pitches into something that's a little bit tighter, that's a little bit less loopy to your point, which the curveball is. The more loopy it is like that, the greater the chance you can get more contact, which is what you don't want as a pitcher. If you have something in, in between with a hybrid looking curveball, slider, more velo, more horizontal, I think that's how you get more whiffs. Now, the issue if you want to call it that is that pitch does not exist yet right and this pitch may not even be something the cubs end up doing although on paper you would want a pitch type like that sweeping slider versus the loopy curve and the slider they have now when he's going to debut i imagine it's going to be fastball splitter curveball right Maybe over time, whether it be the Cubs or a different team, the curveball changes, but really it's going to live on those three pitches. Um, he also has a sinker, didn't go into it here, but also has a lot of arm side run. I personally, before I throw it back to you, personally am intrigued by the four seam fastball. I need to understand more why I didn't get the whiffs, 
but the Cubs have had the capacity over the past five years now to take arms, heavy arm side run fastballs and make the most out of it. And you can call it sinkers if you will, but there's heavy arm side fastballs. And we've talked about this for years. They go up and in, they go up in the zone with those breakers, those breaking fastballs. And they've had so much success and look no further than Javier Assad, whose sinker rates below league average because it has that carry, because it has that break, doesn't have the vehicle to go with it. But he's like, he had one of the best seasons for a swing man in baseball last mm-hmm. year. I'm intrigued by that. But I will say before I throw it back to you, he he doesn't scream obvious ace right now. The reason he's probably going to get around two hundred million is because he's twenty five years old and right. he still has a lot of room to grow. And he's a good foundation with that splitter and a good foundation with the with the high velo fastball. But if you're expecting him to come in and put up three. ERA seasons right away. I would not expect that. If you're expecting him to come in and throw a 3.5 ERA season, I think that's that's more probable. But I still think there's chances and scenarios where he's going to have to go through some adjustments and modify his breaking pitch. I don't know what's going on with that fastball, but perhaps modify that as well. I think there's scenarios where he debuts and he's in the upper threes for ERA. And if you want to pay him 25 mil a year, 28 mil per year for that potential and that 3.5 to 4 ERA baseline, I can see that making sense for the Cubs. But he's not going, you can't expect him to be your ace right away. He's not Kevin, Kevin Gossman right away. Could get there, but not right now. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of, at least if we're talking about Yamamoto, and then again, as the rumors came out, I think on Wednesday morning with Shota Imanaga, that's a key difference. Shoto Imanaga is 30 years old. Yeah. Um, so that's part of the calculus. And I think part of why maybe that 200 million number that Mark Feinstein was putting out was kind of like, whoa. Uh, because, you know, again, I think like it, it's always different, right? No player is the same. I think one of the worst things that happens when guys come from Japan or Korea or any of these non, you know, traditional draft prospect pipelines is the comparison of them inherently to their colleagues in that regard. And sure, the the MPB is the level of comparison, but a lot of these players are very different. Like just because a player is coming over to Japan does not mean that oh, well let's just look at the other guys because they're they're very different players. It's it's more about how does their, if it's a pitcher, their pitch repertoire or a hitter, their, you know, overall discipline and power and and command of the strike zone, things like that. Like that's what's more important. The nuances of the, of the game in Japan as it relates to Major League Baseball is a huge part of those adjustments, right? So for a pitcher, getting hitters out in Japan in the MPB is not the same as it is in Major League Baseball, right? Yeah. And you can kind of see that if you think of someone like Ichiro and the way that he hit and that style of kind of more like slapping the ball and peeling off toward first base as a left-handed hitter to sort of get that jump start on the run, much more common in the MPB. It's basically non-existent to see hitters like that in Major League Baseball. How you're pitching to a hitter like that is completely different than how you're pitching to other left-handed hitters. That's true. So if you're looking at certain pitches, it may play better 
in a league where hitters have that particular style versus Major League Baseball. So that's really where these keys come in. But, you know, if you're looking at the the first thing that jumped to mind was, I think, the most recent signing from the MBB, which which was Kodai Senga. And, and the reason I even think of that comparison is just because he had that ghost forkball that everybody talked about. And the and the the thing that jumped to mind was the question was, OK, well, how does this play when it comes over to Major League Baseball? The answer was quite well. He quite was well. excellent. Yeah. In really the whole season, I think he had a 3-3 ERA in the first half, had like a rough first month, and then was unbelievable for the rest of the year. I think he had a 2.5 ERA in that second half. But, you know, again, each pitcher is not apples to apples. It's about yeah. their repertoire and, and who they are, not just that they happen to be playing in Japan. That That's the ultimate point that I'm making. So when you're looking at any of these signings, it's it's not just looking like oh he had a one nine ERA in the MPB last year over one hundred ninety innings. It's let's look at these pitches and how can he use them to get major league hitters out. And I think that's kind of the thing that you were alluding to with you know maybe Yamamoto's curveball is the big highlight when you look at it and you're taking a look at the numbers and things like that. But is that the pitch that they that he uses as that out pitch or that swing and miss pitch? to get major league hitters out. Right. Maybe not, right? Maybe because of the way the league is and how things have adjusted, you have to tinker with some of that stuff and and some of that has to change. So those are where those sort of unknowns come in, but that's a, a, a large part of the calculation is, it okay, is. Here's, here's, the, the, here's the tools. How do we translate it to get a different type of hitter out on a regular basis? Before I do the ad break here, if we talk about Kodai Senga's development, it's noteworthy how he started the season when he wasn't, to your point, having that expected success. So debuts in April, this is what changed. Started throwing four-seam fastballs at 42%, using sweepers at 17%. By July, when the success really started to ramp up, fastball usage dropped 10 percentage points to 31%, and the sweeper became almost non-usable, where the sweeper was then being used basically three times for every 100 pitches. He's never showing that sweeper, essentially. Upped his cutter usage and then kept his ghost forkball usage basically the same. So fewer four seams, more cutters, relying on that fork ball and then using a harder version of a slider around 7% and basically putting the sweeper on the back seat. So they started with the specs. The specs suggested four seam will play up, slider, sweeper, slider will play up. Didn't work, lower the four seam, get rid of the sweeper, go tighter slider, leverage that natural good fork ball and use more of your cutter. That will probably be what the Cubs have to tinker with as well if they do sign Yamamoto. And I I think there's going to have to be more tinkering for Yamamoto than there even was for Kodai Senga. In hindsight, I will say going and diving deeper into this, in hindsight, I wish the Cubs were heavier in on Senga. And I think a lot of teams would say the same thing. I think the success is better than I expected. I think the forkball was was an unknown. 
But man, Senga is just a diverse so, repertoire. Man. So your hot take for the episode is that you do wish the Cubs had a guy who just started 29 games with a 2.9 ERA. Yeah, that's yeah, your man. The assessment. Mets, the Mets got a steal with that. They really Listen, did, folks. Yeah. One thing I can tell you about the CHGO Cubs <laughs> podcast: we're going to be brutally honest with you. All right, we're going to tell you that we do want guys with a sub three ERA in their yes, rookie year. I will always be objective. to be pitching for the Cubs. I will always be. Objective. You heard it here. There you go. All right. Let's do this. Uh, all right. So let's let's do yeah. another ad break here, and then when we come back, kind of, I I know you don't have as much uh, data or like thought on Shoto Imanaga, and I, I think him things, being yeah. thirty really does change that. I, I'd be surprised okay. to see the Cubs in on that as much as Yamamoto specifically, uh, but I think kind of just like finishing the conversation with like. Where, where where are the Cubs getting their pitching, right? Yeah. Should it be an aggressive pursuit of one of these guys, a trade? As, as you said, you're not super interested in, in guys like Blake Snell or maybe who's available. Just given the, the price, right? That's the thing. Right, sure. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's how we'll finish the conversation, and then everybody can go enjoy their weekend. Okay. If you need a low-carb option to fit your lifestyle or dietary constraints— Founder Cole Glass baked 100 muffins per day before he found the perfect blend that fit its allergy constraints. That's what pushed him to start Hero Bread. If you need a low-carb option after this Thanksgiving holiday, you know, kind of cut down those calories, Hero Bread is probably your bread. The bread is soft, fluffy, very flavorful. It has high-fiber, ultra-low net carbs, and zero grams of sugar per slice. If you want to try this bread out, CHGO offers 10% off for your first purchase at hero.co. Again, right now, Hero Bread is offering the CHGO fam 10% off their first order. Just go to hero.co and use your code CHGO to save on Hero Bread. That's hero.co.co.co o.co to save 10% off. That bread looks great. You guys got to send me some of that bread out here and I can try it out. Can do. Yeah. Luke Thank you. Has, it speaks. Luke's discussion of Hero Bread speaks volumes. <laughs> I, I was sold the minute I heard him talking about it. And it's not just his like very good ad reads. He, 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 he is. Yeah. I was listening to him talk about this too. You can tell. You can tell he really loves, loves his bread. Yep. All right. So, uh, last ad break here from Varsity. If you need the perfect bag for game day, Varsity Coolers will have you set game day and beyond with the best portable cooler and weekend duffel around. They have a unique design. Exterior can match your team's colors. Uh, they have uh, lining for the food scene. It doubles as a cooler. It's waterproof. It's double insulated, which is my favorite. I love the insulation. Keeps your... Uh, uh, beverages cool, or if you have any like hot items, will also keep it warm. It fits in a golf cart or as a carry-on luggage. It is the perfect Christmas, Hanukkah, or holiday gift. Twenty-one teams are represented, so they have the perfect possibility gift for your football fan in your life. Built to show up in style to a party or repping around town, and can use even as a gym bag. Head over to varsitycoolers.us and use code CHGO for 10% off. Look at that bag on here. This nice Bears varsity bag we're looking at. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brendan. Uh, so 
let's finish up here. Uh, just kind of, you know, again, like Aaron Nola goes back to the Phillies. I, we're, we're joking about it, but like, you know, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson to the Cardinals. Not that that obviously would have been how the Cubs are filling out the top of their rotation as Lance Lynn is basically a human batting practice machine at this point. So the way he's serving up home runs, that's also one of those things like, listen, y'all better be hitting home runs. I can't deal with the Cubs getting shut out for seven, you know, and two thirds by this version of Lance Lynn. Um, but they, you know, they added some innings eaters, right. To fill out their rotation for whatever reason, how do the Cubs, how do you see them proceeding to address the top of the rotation? Where would you like to see it? Would you be comfortable if the Cubs, let's say that they, they are the winners of the Yamamoto posting, they bring him in. Maybe that's part of their plan to attract Shohei Otani, right? Um, do you think that that, does that address the Cubs concerns? Would they need more depth if they made a move like that? How should they how should they go about this if if you're spending some of these dollars? It doesn't exist on the free agent market to get that surefire ace. So if they want to get that, they can go via trade. Then again, you can also imagine the front office thinking, what if you acquire Yamamoto? And what if you go out, you supplement that rotation with a Kenta Maeda, for example? Uh, you expect Justin Steele to be consistent. Then you promote Kate Horton, who has that like bona fide ace potential. Like Kate Horton is the best Cubs pitching prospect, and it's probably Mark Pryor, like hands down, I think. And you get Jordan Wicks, who's likely, I think, going to start twenty five plus games next year, unless something drastically happens. I think, I think this is like the hot take, I guess, if you will. I think you can slot in Wicks for twenty five plus starts next year, which is, which is awesome. I actually imagine the Cubs going down that path and not acquiring your surefire ace pitcher. I think from their perspective, it does make a lot of sense to heavily go after Yamamoto because of the age. The 25-year-old age is going to be a huge enticing factor for Jen in the front office projecting long-term with the foundation of a good fastball and the capacity to change your breaking pitch and having a splitter that can that can be used, especially to offset handedness. I imagine the best path forward is Yamamoto supplement, not even saying get Kenta Maeda, but somewhere in that lower to mid-tier range. When, and when when you when you bring up Maeda, what is the particular draw from that? Veteran like a veteran, 35 years old. Again, He's, he's going to eat innings, and I think he can eat innings that average to below slightly league average, and I okay. value so, that. So just it's sort of like removing the specific name. If you brought in Yamamoto, yeah. there's obviously some unknown, some potential risks, some things you'd have to like see how it played out. So balance that by getting a veteran, someone you can kind of just like slot in, okay, here's what they're going to do yeah, this man. year. 35 doesn't have old. to be overpowering or no. anything close to top of the rotation stuff, but just like we need someone who we know exactly, especially because like Tyone's a bit of an unknown. Justin Steele's somewhat of an unknown, right? Just because he's still in the early stage of doing this at this level for the, you know, a full year and, and all of that stuff. And he continues to get better. He could be an unknown and that he just keeps getting better, right? Yeah. 
you have some rookies, right? So adding some just like pure stability is not really the worst thing in the world. No, from Maeda's perspective, you can imagine one-year contract, two-year contract with an option, maybe that the numbers for him are consistent for FIP flat last season in 20 innings year before 21 or 21 starts 4.1 FIP again. So you're not going to get maybe that, you know, 25 plus star value. I get that, but at least you get expected 20 ish or so starts. You have the ability to call up some of your prospects that can fill in a start once every few weeks. I like that. The price tag for Maeda is probably pretty cheap, and at least you get more arms in your system. Again, I'm not even saying, oh, go out and sign Maeda, but I think that type of mold where you give more money to like Yamamoto or you give more money to Imanaga if you want to go that direction, although I'd rather go with Yamamoto because of the age, I think that's where the Cubs end up. And you kind of risk it a little bit in ensuring that the ace void can be filled with Kate Horton or a trade either at the deadline or during the offseason by the way the roster shaped out so many holes all over the place. It seems difficult to address the offense while simultaneously addressing the pitching. And from the Cubs perspective, they do have a lot of potential starting pitchers in one, like for sure, potential ace guy. Whereas from the hitting department, you don't have that middle of the order bat as soon to be ready as next season. So I think that's where the, the, the difference is going to be. All right. So let's do this last ad break here and then we'll sign off. Get fitted out in the best sports gear around hoodies, shoes, signs, bobbleheads, everything in between. Baseball season three months away. Counting down the days. Get ready for spring training with Aloha shirts, straw hats, polos, bags, everything you need for a game. They also have given us set decorations, bobbleheads. You've seen those on our sets. Go show them some love. Check out foco.com. Click the link in the description below for all non-preso items. Use the promo code CHGO for 10% off. All right, folks. So we're going to get out of here. Hopefully this was, you know, look, like I I don't think that I, I, I didn't think that this was going to be like, oh, the, the comprehensive scouting report on some of these uh, Japanese pitchers, but I did just want to provide a little color beyond big name getting posted, huge money, and it's sort of just like trusting, oh, well, you know, he started the WBC championship game or he posted a 190 RA in the MPB because there's obviously a lot more to it. And, you know, just trying to provide some color to the Cubs are connected to these things. I don't know if they've been connected to both specifically, but I know they've been connected to Yamamoto yeah. for sure. And, you know, just to sort of give some baseline level expectation of, hey, if the Cubs go and spend $200 million on someone in the next week, let's just talk about them a little yeah. bit. Let's learn as much as we can. Uh, because, uh, you know, of course, like there's going to be some unknowns. The transition takes time with any player, whether that's a guy coming up from the minors or from a completely different league and country, right? There's always adjustments. You can't really know for sure how that'll go, but the Cubs are in this conversation. They may end up being the teams that these guys land with, you know, or one of these guys lands with, and just to sort of like prepare for that, right? Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, as I said, I do think it's a lot easier. Like Blake Snell just won the Cy Young, We've seen him, we faced him, watched him in the World Series, right, when he was on Tampa. Just a lot easier 
for all of us to make sense of a deal like that if it happens because it's just a much more known quantity for us. So when we're talking about the figures we're talking about from guys that most of us have never seen or we're watching, you know, yeah. in an article on MLB.com, I think just good to kind of have that conversation of what that might look like, some baseline level expectations, and then of course, you know, accounting for, hey, this could go any number of ways. Right? Yeah. And the last thought, because you mentioned Snell, he'll be 31 years old. The last time he threw 30, 30 innings was 2018. So again, coming off a Cy Young year, you expect the money will be high. If I'm going to spend that money, give me the 25-year-old, even though likely going to produce less value next year, but over the course of the contract and as soon as even second half of next year to early 2025, good possibility he up value snow. Yeah. So that's the way I think about that. When I think with Yamamoto specifically, you know, you're talking about a 25-year-old with a massively talented and interesting yeah. repertoire, and you would have a long time to, to mold that and figure out how to turn that into the best version of himself pitching to MLB hitters. Exactly. So... Last thought, not to belabor it, but I think even thinking about Snell, right, I think a lot of how the Cubs address this, as you mentioned, they have a lot of youth potential with their their rotation, even we saw last year and, and guys like Kate Horton that could potentially join it. Maybe, you know, if they can tinker and figure out Hayden Wisniewski, et cetera, like they have a lot of those guys. Depends what they're looking at this particular window as and what someone like Snell is looking for, Right. Um, if it's a long-term deal, you know, something like NOLA, yeah, I, I don't expect the Cubs to be paying for guys north of 30 uh, that long and that much money. But, you know, maybe there's a way to attack this offseason that's, as Jed has done before, you know, and similar with Marcus Stroman, right? If there's a right. shorter option, sure. The, 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 the window does not have to be a, a specific length, right? And that's how we talked about Juan Soto, too right? What I mean is if you can make the team better next year or for two years, fine. You worry about the third year when you get there and you have to long-term plan, but not every deal when you're building like a, a World Series team or entering a new win window, not everybody on the team has to be signed for that entire window is, is really just my point, right? Yeah. Each year is its own precious opportunity and there's different ways to approach that. So, Per usual, I think Jed's going to be smart on most of this. He's not going to give out crazy years. That's just how he's always operated. But who that is specifically, we will find out. So as always, we desperately hope that this episode has not become outdated extremely quickly with the way things Well, I kind of hope it does. You know, In the off season. <laughs> you know, if there's breaking news, somebody signs a trade, anything like that, uh, the CHGO Cubs team, some version of us, just like the Power Rangers, we will assemble. We will show up on a live stream and we will break it down for you as quickly as humanly possible. As I noted, the Craig Council live show was within five minutes, I think, of the news breaking. Well so CHGO Cubs has you covered there. Hope you enjoyed your holiday. However, you spend it or don't spend it. I hope you had a good week, a good weekend. Appreciate you tuning in, especially over the holidays and vacation and things like that. Brendan and I will be back with you next Friday. And as always, go Cubs. We all silly like the mayor. 